85% of adults say they regularly experience stress with half recognising that they are too stressed. We need to talk about anxiety. This autumn, we'll be looking at some of the different forms of anxiety and the issues that can be on our minds. Jesus had a lot to say about our mental well-being, and we believe his gospel is the very best solution to dealing with anxiety. So for you, Ruby, um, we're talking about sexuality there, and you were saying, you know, you made you reconsider how you viewed men and women and your body image. Like, how, how did it impact you in terms of that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think my body image it impacted me massively, I think. Growing up, I was quite um, sporty and quite athletic. Um, but as I went into kind of the end of school and into my teenage years, I realised that um, I was getting quite insecure about being the sporty, kind of more masculine uh, female in the year. I used to love sports and it just came to a point where I just had to say no. And I was just like, no, nope, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. And I tried to be this woman or this girl that I thought men wanted me to be. Um, and it caused me to end up um, having an eating disorder. So I struggled with bulimia for good, maybe five years on and off. Um, and that again was something that I just felt like I couldn't tell anyone. No one, no one could know that. And I think people were aware, um, but I didn't want to own up to it because I didn't want to then have to face it. So, yeah. So Dan, you mentioned something earlier about like looking at bodies and um, comparing yourself to people on Instagram and things like that. Is that something you struggled with as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you know I play rugby. Um, I play with um, guys that are their main focus is what they look like, how big they are, how strong they are, mm. and you sit in a changing room sometimes, and I might be the tallest, <laughs> but you feel like the rugby post. Like, you know, and, and it has an effect on you, you know, um, just magazines, newspapers, there's always been media about, but it's become much more prevalent of people looking to, you know, be like me. If you, you know, if you do these exercises, you're going to be like me. It's the trap that I would go to looking at, okay, if I just do this program, I'm just going to end up looking like this guy and it will make me a better rugby player or it'll make me this. Uh, but there is, for me, it's an identity, try and find my identity in something else. Good morning, my name is Matt Carvel. I'm one of the elders here at Emmanuel. We're talking about the topic of body image uh, today. And let me give you some statistics uh, to show really the scale of the problem that we're all facing as a society. And I, and I mean that we're, we're all facing this. If you're watching this at the marina, at the Shoreham Centre, at the villas in Hove or at Oasis, you're currently surrounded by people for whom this issue is uh, is a real problem, whether that's anxieties that people are facing themselves or they're trying to support others around them, friends, colleagues, partners, or children. According to a recent YouGov survey, one third of UK adults said they felt anxious or depressed because of concerns about their body image. One in five said they felt disgusted with their body. And one in eight UK adults have experienced suicidal thoughts or feelings because of concerns about their body image. This is a massive issue. And it's not just affecting a certain demographic either. When we think about this topic, we may think of teenage girls and the pressures of social media perhaps. 
And that definitely is a big issue. 40% of teenagers said that images on social media caused them to worry about their body image. But a recent government social attitude survey found that a 45-year-old woman was just as likely to be dissatisfied with her appearance as a 19-year-old. And what's more, the number of boys admitted to hospital for eating disorders doubled between 2010 and 2018. And last year, it was rising at a faster rate than that of girls. Just last week as well, you may have seen it, the actor Christopher Eccleston, famous for playing Doctor Who, uh, amongst many other roles, described himself as a lifelong body hater and that he has battled with anorexia for decades. He writes in his recent book, Many times I've wanted to reveal that I am a lifelong anorexic and dysmorphic. I never have. I always thought of it as a filthy secret because I'm northern, because I'm male, and because I'm working class. So rich and poor, older and younger, male and female, the way we think about our bodies is causing anxiety on a massive scale. And more and more people are talking about it, which is a really positive thing. But are the suggested solutions like the body positivity movement really enough to address the scale of the problem? Well, today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to ask that and many other questions to our guest speaker, Emma Scrivener. I recorded an interview with her earlier this week, and she's going to help us unpack this topic and also tell her story of anorexia and how getting to know Jesus brought her back from death's door. Before we get into that, though, I first want to ask the question, what does Jesus have to do with body image issues? Because the connection won't be obvious to many of you. Let me say a few things. Firstly, something unique about Jesus compared to all other religions is that he had and has a physical body. The God of the Bible can help us because he became human and knows what it's like to face society's expectations and pressures. Secondly, it's also worth pointing out that he was not good looking. Despite the artistic presentations that we've seen over the centuries, the Bible actually specifically says that during his time on earth, his physical appearance was unattractive. We're going to read that passage from Isaiah 53 in just a moment. But thirdly, Jesus became a figure of shame and disgust when he was murdered, when he was nailed to a cross. And so many of the issues around this subject of body image are to do with the shame that we feel. And the passage from the Bible that we're going to read describes how Jesus actually experienced shame and rejection. But in a way that can bring healing and peace to us. And so let's listen to that right now. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 5. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. What this passage speaks of is how God has come to be with us. He's not a distant God who doesn't know what it's like to suffer or to struggle. He stepped into a, a world of, of pain and felt it himself. But not only did God become familiar with rejection and shame and sorrow, this passage also says that Christ's sufferings can actually bring healing and peace to us right here and right now. So I want you to listen out for those themes and ideas as we hear uh, Emma tell her story and unpack this topic of body image. And after that, I'll draw these threads together and suggest how we can respond personally. Emma, thanks so much for joining us today. We're in our series On Your Mind, talking about body image uh, this week. Uh, we're going to get into all that, but why don't you just introduce yourself uh, first of all? Thanks. So, yes, I'm Emma, um, and Emma Scrivener. Um, I've spent my whole life spelling out my name. It was so much easier before. Uh, and my husband's spoken uh, here a few times, so some of you might know him. Um, as you can hear, I'm from sunny Belfast. And I'm very excited because I hear that you guys are going to be planting right. the marina yeah, uh, to next my hometown. Year. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, looking forward to that. Great. I know also you've uh, written some books as well, and we'll, uh, we'll get into that. But we're talking about this topic of um, body image, and I suppose maybe many people would sort of wonder why we're even uh, addressing this. It's maybe quite unusual for um, church to, to speak about it, but it's a topic that seems to be getting uh, more and more airtime in the news and our society in general. Why do you think that is? Why, why are we talking about this subject uh, more and more, it seems? Well, I guess, first of all, when, when I'm talking about body image, what are we talking about? Well, at, for the purposes of this, I'm thinking body image is basically how I think the world sees me or how I think I see myself. And on that definition, everybody has body image and everyone has body image issues to some extent. Um, I think uh, body image is actually something that's quite old. Um, and it's not just our culture that talks about it, but I think as a church, we really need to be addressing this issue. Mm -hmm, um, it's mm -hmm. absolutely crucial. And the reason for that is um, that sometimes we'll label body image or body Im image issues as being quite trivial. You know, it's about vanity. It's about wanting to look slightly better. But I, I reckon that actually body image is about a lot more. It's not just an issue of morality. It's an issue, a theological issue. Mm -hmm. It's about our heart, not just um, the way that we look. So quite often, if someone is dealing with body image issues, mm -hmm. there'll be bigger mm -hmm. questions, bigger yeah. heart issues underneath. Things yeah. like, you know, how do I get rid of a sense of shame? Um, 
were what makes me me, what makes me special. Yeah. These, these are really deep issues and they need pastoral care and they need a lot more than just um, look, stop being so vain or pull yourself together. And I think the gospel uniquely speaks into these heart issues in a way that nobody else can. Yeah. Only Jesus yeah. can, can really meet them. So as a church, we should really be the first place and not the last place to be talking about these issues. Brilliant. I think some people maybe, maybe especially in, in, in Christian circles might think, well, you know, there's, there's nothing, we, this, this society is maybe blowing this out of proportion, you know, we should have, we should be good stewards of our body and there's nothing wrong with pursuing being healthy and that sort of thing. But wh why is it that it seems to be uh, such, a, such a problem? It, it, you know, it's been presented that way. People, uh, we're, we're talking in the series about uh, anxiety, and there's uh, um, su such a, a power in that. And we see all these uh, related medical conditions uh, are surrounded, connected to body image. Um, what's the? Um, why is it uh, such a problem? Why is it striking people so deeply, and and it's, it's causing such alarm, really, in our society? Do you think? Well, I guess. To start off with, I mean, body image is always there. It's right there. You know, if you think about um, the ancient Greeks and Adonis, or you might think about, I don't know, the, the flapper girls in the 20s or Marilyn Monroe and different. So it's always there. But I guess there's a couple of different answers to that question. Um, one of them would be that we're a society that is really focused on on the image. Yeah. So we're a very visual society. Yeah. And yeah. we see that in things like advertising and social media, um, which particularly preys on making us feel um, insecure about ourselves. So that's yeah. the way, there's a whole economy that's based on making yeah. me feel insecure about who I am so that I will buy products that will make me somehow better. So there, there's that going on. And there's the proliferation of social media, um, which is obviously you know, pretty big as well. Um, and we have an ability to change our bodies that we haven't had in the past. Um, yeah. But I think the, a deeper reason for that, the bigger reason is increasingly we're a society where God is being stripped out. You know, we feel like we've kind of moved on past God. And if you take God out of the equation, the, the Lord who gives us our identity, what happens to that identity? Well, you've got to build it somewhere else. And so our body is is the, the sort of the ground where we build that. You know, I think about my son, he loves building with Lego, adding things on, taking them off. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're doing with our bodies as well. Um, on the very deepest level, though, I, I think we have been created to reflect the image of God. That's who we are. Um, so there's something in us that reflects, that is made to reflect. And if we don't reflect God, we're going to reflect something else. So ever since the fall, we're not reflecting God the way we were designed to. We're reflecting the world instead. And there's lots of different kind of fractured images that are coming at us from all sorts of directions that we're reflected, we're reflecting. And these change all the time. So our sense of identity is very weak. You know, it goes up and down. And I guess instead of sort of that, our, our body image flowing, flowing out of who we know we are, in a sense, we're starting then, without God, we're starting to build our identity on our body yeah. and then building our reality around that, that body image as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's a tower that's going to just topple down on, on all of us. Um, and I think, I think society is, is feeling that. 
they're feeling the symptoms of that, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Especially the statistics that are out there, um, particularly with young people and the pressure that they feel that they're under and what they're going to extreme lengths um, uh, on, on, this, on this issue. And I guess what we've seen, particularly in the, in the last few years, is a uh, response, recognizing there's a problem around this area, and a, a response, um, uh, I guess we would class as body positivity, seeing that this is a pressure on people, seeing that people are struggling with these feelings and this sense of uh, identity uh, loss or, or struggling to know who they are and the pressure that they feel from society. And a response to that has been, well, let's just be positive about who we are and be accepting and even loving of ourselves. Just love yourself. That's one of the messages uh, that we're told. And in, I, I guess there's, there's some good in that. You know, we, we want people to be positive about themselves rather than negative, especially as, uh, as Christians, we believe we're made in the image of God, as we've already said. So there's, there's tremendously positive things about that. But that, I guess, that approach to the problems that we're talking about and saying, well, let's just be positive and just accept uh, ourselves as we are and even love ourselves, what, what would you say is, what's the limitations of that approach, would you say? Okay, well, again, I'm not going to be able to answer any of these questions definitively, and I wish I was interviewing someone who could tell me the answers, because I, I don't have them, but a couple of thoughts. Um, the, the body positivity movement, um, I think, first of all, let's, let's start with what do, what do we think we are as people? Now, in our culture, it's very interesting, because we... We have a, a kind of a split view of the body. On the one hand, we're saying, my body is all that I am. It's the most important thing about me. So if my body looks good, then I am good. I am worth something because I look a certain way. But on the other hand, our culture is saying the very opposite. It's saying my body is disposable. It's not really the real me. So therefore, I can sleep with whoever I want or I can change myself all the time. It's like, a, you know, like an art project at school. It doesn't, what I do with my body doesn't make a difference. Mm -hmm. The gospel says something very different. The gospel has a whole view of the person. So body, soul, mind, all interconnected. And that is absolutely vital. So I, I guess one of the limitations of the body positivity movement is we're saying, we're going back to saying, well, look, your body is positive, which certainly the gospel says in, in no uncertain terms, but we're stopping there. Mm -hmm. You're saying still you're your body. This is still the arena that you're working in. And the gospel says, no, everything is interconnected. So um, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, your physical health, these, these are all together and they can't be split up in different ways. Um, and I think that's really important. And the body positivity movement doesn't go far enough, whereas the gospel does. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the gospel has a really high view of the body. It has one of the highest views of the body anywhere. You know, sometimes traditionally in history, people will talk about... Um, either the body is the most important thing and the soul is kind of wishy-washy or the soul is really important and you know there's this kind of pure self and the body is a little nonsense in the gospel again our bodies are going to be redeemed. You know, it's not just us that will be remade. It is our physical bodies mm -hmm. because Christ was physically raised. We're going to be physically raised as well. So what we do in our bodies now really, really matters. But that's not all, you know. Um, it doesn't just stop with what, what we have here. And our identity is, is given to us by the Lord who is outside of us. And again, that's very different from trying to create an identity that's all about 
um, my body that I try to, to make for myself. Um, you know, I'm given an identity, whereas with body positivity, I'm always trying to, to put it together, to make it in different ways, which means that every time, you know, there's a, a different kind of cultural trend, whether it's for thinness or whether it's for, you know, fitness or, or whatever, then I'm rocked. Yeah. By, that, by that same trend. So body positivity, absolutely. And the gospel is really body positive, but that's got to be grounded in yeah. something that's more than just a vague sense that, you know, I'm, I'm a lovely person. And I guess the other thing as well is the body positivity says, um, if you create yourself, there's this, this idea that we look within, we discover ourselves because the real me, the real Emma is inside somewhere. Right. And again, the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says, no, your identity is given to you from the Lord who is outside of you. So something very interesting happens to us when we start looking inside ourselves. I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like an onion. I peeled all the layers and there's nothing there. Mm. Or worse, what I find is there is not a princess. Yeah. It's a frog and a really ugly frog in there. You know, it's a heart that is beating with selfishness and, and all kinds of terrible things that I don't want to bring out into public. Mm. Now, if that's what I discover when I'm expecting to find my inner princess, I'm in a whole world of trouble. Mm. Of course, I'm going to look to the exterior to try and patch up the interior. And again, the body positivity movement, I don't think, deals with that side of ourselves. What do you do with sin? What do you do with fallenness? What do you do with your mess? Um, who do you go to? Because if you're expecting something beautiful and you don't find it, mm. then you're left feeling, well, look, there's something wrong with me or I'm being sold a lie. Mm. What's the truth? Wow. Brilliant. Let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, your story as well. Um, I think maybe a lot of people uh, watching this would associate eating disorders uh, with this topic of body image and, and maybe imagining that um, eating disorders are all to do with wanting to be thinner and wanting to have a perfect body or that sort of uh, thing um, and making that the goal. But um, I know that wasn't uh, your experience exactly. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your, your story and you got to a, a, an extreme place of really medically close to, uh, close to death, really. So how did that all come about? And what were the triggers for you in your life? Mm. Yeah, um, so I think the interesting thing about eating disorders, it's like a lot of a different sort of pathologies. There are a lot of things that sufferers will have in common. But as with any sort of, well, any situation at all, everyone's individual too. So there will be bits of my experience that will ring true with other people who have struggled in this area and there'll be bits that won't. Um, yeah, so I think uh, growing up, I came from a very happy family. You know, I felt very settled, uh, not a Christian family, but very secure. And I was the sort of person who, um, I really liked to know where I fitted into the world and I really liked things to be concrete, you know, and sort of inside boxes. And I knew who I was and I knew where I fitted up until I was about 13. And then some, some things in my life changed. You know, my, my body was changing. Um, I moved schools. I was bullied at school. Um, I, suddenly I was being expected to think about the future, which I, I didn't know, you know, what I wanted to be or what, I was, what a woman was meant to look like. Uh, my, grand, my grandfather died. We didn't have any answers for that. My parents just said, well, that's what happens. Um, and I sort of, I started going along to charts, um, one side of God, which is the, you know, that, that I'm a mess and that I'm sinful, which is certainly true. But I didn't get the, the whole picture, grace and what Jesus 
fractals. So I took on board sort of the rules and the regulations, but not, um, not the heart of the gospel, which is what the Lord does for us. All of this added up together to a little girl who felt really like, um, like I was just a, a sprawling, weeping mess. I felt like I was uh, a horrible spill you know, a horrible colored red wine spill, like on white carpet, and I wanted to mop myself up. And the spill, the mess that I had, was me internally and externally as well. But it was all of the different sorts of questions that I had. You know, it wasn't looking in a mirror and thinking, um, I feel like I am fat in, in the sense of I want to be into a smaller dress size, I want better skin, I want to look better. Fat for me was the word for all of my mess. It was all of the existential questions that I had about who I was, what I was worth, what, what is death in life, what does it mean to be a woman, what gives me my identity, how can I make myself fit in this world, how can I clean myself up, you know, and my body was just the, it was just the reflection on the, on the outside of what was happening inside, this mess, these questions that nobody could answer, um, where I couldn't find what it was that made me me. And telling myself that I was a lovely person didn't seem to make any difference because I didn't feel like I was. And, you know, there was an extent to which really I wasn't. You know, the, the things that I, you know, the things that I, when I wanted to do good things, I, I couldn't do them. When I wanted to try and be the sort of person that it seemed to me that the God of the Bible wanted me to be and follow his rules, I couldn't do it. So as my body started spilling out in puberty, I felt like inside I was too. And the word for that mess, it seemed to me, was fat. And if I could reduce that mess on the outside, then I could also take charge of all of the worries on the inside. So if I could make my body smaller, then that was a way of making life simple and reducing these 101 questions to just one question. And that question was, can I lose weight? Can I be thinner? And I could do that. I couldn't, I couldn't answer what it was that gave me worth. I couldn't answer these things about life, but I could control my own body. And that is one of the lures, I guess, of body image. You know, in, in a world where everything seems so uncertain, you know, we're looking at things like Brexit and political and the economy and, you know, 101 things that are out of our, out of our control. One thing I can control is my body. And I can do that when I'm a child. I can do that when I'm a grown-up. So that was the lure for me of anorexia. And what's interesting was I wasn't on social media or anything like that at that time. We hadn't even heard about eating disorders, really. It was something I just sort of fell into. It, just, it was this thing that gave me a sense of control, that gave me a sense of identity, that gave me a sense of self-worth. And that went on for quite a while. Uh, we tried to seek help, but... Um, People didn't know an awful lot about eating disorders. And again, we came back to a sort of a cultural model, which says that the person is split into sort of body and mind. So treatments then focused mainly on getting me back to healthy weight. And that's really important, you know, because when your, your weight goes down, your brain stops working as well. And so you can't process things in your head until your weight goes back up again. But if it's the only thing that's fixed, then you end up the way that I did when I was 18, which is... I was being told, you're a nice person, but there was nothing to back it up. And I was restored to healthy weight on the outside, but internally I still had all of these same questions, except they were bigger than before, and I didn't know how to answer them. So I looked an awful lot better, but actually internally I felt an awful lot worse. In fact, I felt like all of the problems were compounded. So, for, so from that point, and then I think, you know, you, you became a Christian in your life, and um, I'm sure that was 
you know, incredible changes, but actually it, it wasn't so straightforward in terms of uh, um, overnight getting to those unanswered questions and, and issues that you were feeling. And actually, I, I know you describe in your story how uh, you were uh, very busy in the church at a time that you got actually to your lowest point with all these things. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, again, yes, I'd say that I, I got to know about God, but I didn't really understand Jesus, who he was. So there was a massive piece. So in some senses, I understood bits of Christianity, thought that I did. But in other ways, I'd really missed out on the heart of a relationship with Jesus. And I would say, you know, there may well be people who are listening to this now and you, you know, you feel like you know all about God, you know all about church, you could answer all the Bible questions and all the rest. But never, never stop short of a living relationship with the Lord Jesus, because that is transformative. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. So, um... Yes, I guess without having this sense of identity that came from the Lord, then what happened was, again, I was looking to other sources to try and find it. One of these had been losing weight, and that, you know, that seemed like, well, this doesn't really work for you. So another source that I went to then was, well, what about being good? What about you know, trying to keep these laws that God has given me in my own strength? And as I say, I, you know, I really did feel like I understood the gospel, but I also felt that it was true for other people, but not for me. I felt that, you know, um, this grace that was offered that other people could receive it. And I guess I had too low a view of myself and too high. In one sense, I felt I don't need it. I can fix myself. I can be good enough for myself. And in another sense, I felt too bad. I felt, well, this can't be for me with my heart, which is with the way that I am. So it was really something that I offered to other people. But the more and more I tried to keep God's laws, the more, the, the further short I found I, I fell. And um, I got engaged to, to Glenn, who was going to be a vicar in training. And we came to the end of a time at Bible College when, um, you know, it gradually dawned on me I was going to be a vicar's wife. And that was terrifying because I didn't know what does a woman look like, let alone a godly woman, let alone a vicar's wife who is just you know, the embodiment of womanhood, the embodiment of, of godliness and everything that I wasn't. And so I panicked and um, I, I went back to old patterns, old habits, old idols, whatever you want to call it. Um, only this time uh, there weren't people there who could force me to eat. And this time I got to a very, very low weight. Um, and as you say, I was dying. I was, you know, I was, I, I was really on the brink of death and I felt that nobody and nothing could reach me. Um, but at that point, I guess, you know, I, I, I said about how I didn't feel that grace was for me, but I, but I hit the point where I was really sitting as a, you know, sort of a skeleton and other people had tried to help and I, I felt for different reasons that I, I couldn't accept that help, I wasn't worthy of it, I didn't need it. But there came a point where I, I, I just, I, I felt, I cried out to God and I said, Lord, I am actually dying here and I'm at the bottom of myself. I have reached the point where I cannot sustain a job, I cannot be the Christian I want to be, I, I can't do anything, I can't walk, you know, I, I, can't, I can't speak, I'm, I am literally dying here, God. And this, I guess, is the point where I find out, is this grace true for me too? Is it true for me too? Are you who you say you are? And at that point, I opened up the Bible, and uh, or I opened up the book of Revelation, which talks about Jesus as being a lion and a lamb. And 
this was something that really gripped my heart. You know, the, the idea of a Lord who is a lion roaring and terrible and beautiful and in control, so I don't need to try and take charge of my life. This world is not out of control. It is not something that I need to try and dominate by myself. But equally, um, a Lord who's described as a lamb who has been slain. So a lamb that dies, a lamb that is, is disfigured and is crucified. So I don't need to crucify myself. I don't need to bear on my own body, my own sin, my own mess to redeem myself. He has done it for me. And this lion willingly becomes a lamb who is broken, who, underst who understands what it is to feel that you are nothing, to feel that, you know, that, yeah, if you, you are exposed and, and yet who stands with me and says, you know, I'm your God and I will carry your scars. I'll be scarred for you and I'll bring you out. And this is the lion that you can trust and the lamb who walks with you. And he sees me as I am and he says, okay, that's enough, that's enough. And I'll lead you out. And it was this relationship, this person of Jesus not a system of rules that I had to keep, not a try and pull up your own socks because anorexia and eating disorders are all about trying to pull up your own socks. I didn't need to hear, you know, try and do a bit better. I needed to hear, you, you cannot do this yourself. I, I do it. And you don't know who you are, but I know who you are and I will lead you in that and I love you. Walk with me. And that was the beginning of a long road to recovery. Not an instant one by any means, but one that... that that began with this, this sense, I am bought by Jesus and my body is worth something and I am worth something. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed by him. Incredible. And, and your story there is sort of encapsulated in your, your first book, A New Name, and then you've, your latest book, actually, A New Day. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I guess that's looking forward and, and um, I guess, dealing with, with life and, and still the ups and downs in life, you know, having that relationship with Jesus that you talked about obviously changes everything in one sense. But um, could you tell us a little bit more about what prompted you to do that uh, book, A New Day, and what that's all about? Sure. So um, I guess the, a new name, one of the reasons that I, I, I took that title was because, well, there's two bits in the Bible that talk about a, a new name that, that stood out to me. One of them is, of course, from Revelation. Um, in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 2. And um, it, it talks about, as, you know, as, as believers, we are given hidden manna, so food, um, sustenance, and a white stone which has written on a name that only you see and that the Lord sees, a new name for you. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because all through our lives, we are given names or we give ourselves names. And, and I don't know what names you've been given or what names you give yourself. For me, a big name that I had for myself was, I'm ashamed, I feel shame. But um, in, in Revelation, the white stone, um, that symbolizes uh, being declared righteous, not guilty, and shame being taken away, along with this new name, this new identity. And... Elsewhere in the Bible, um, I think it's Isaiah 62, talks about us being given a new name as well. That When we come to Jesus, we're no longer desolate. We're no longer destitute. We're no longer what, what we felt we were before. We um, were given this new name, and the new name means bride, and the new name means beloved. So we're like a, a new bride. We are loved loved by the Father and dwelt by the Son. And wow, isn't that amazing? And that's where a new name finished. But 
quite often, um, particularly in Christian circles, well, for everybody, I mean, we love a happy ending, don't we? I, I just, I, I'm, if I see us, I can't watch sad films. If I see a sad ending coming, I'm out of there. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just can't bear it. I've, I've got to leave. And I think sometimes we tie things up a little too neatly. So, and as Christians, we want to do that as well, don't we? So when I was growing up, um, one of the things that I was told about a Christian was there's a before and there's an after. You know, I was a Christian and I had all these kinds of insecurities and I, you know, I didn't have a boyfriend or I don't know, I walked with a limp or, or whatever it was. And then I met Jesus and boom, those things were gone instantly overnight. And that was not my experience. And that is the case as well, I think, with um, a lot of the issues that we struggle with in life, mental health, you know, just as with, with physical health. You know, if I injure my leg running, um, for example, I may well walk with a limp for the rest of my life. If I have um, heart issues, insecurities that are there, problems with my mental health, when I meet Jesus, absolutely, he changes me because I become that bride. But does that mean that everything is different overnight? Not necessarily, because I'm working it out. You know, part of getting to know Jesus is that we're working it out here in, in this world. And the analogy of the bride, I think, is quite interesting because in some ways it is like the fairy story. You know, I'm a pauper who becomes a princess. I, I meet Jesus and I marry this prince and he says, you used to be this, you used to be this person who was, you know, covered in rags and dirty and filthy, but you become mine. I give you my name. Everything I have becomes yours and you're now clothed in me. But what will that princess feel like? You know, one day she's a pauper, then the next day she's a princess. She is a princess. She is, you know, genuinely changed. But will she feel like that all the time? Well, no, because the mindset of, of the pauper lives on, doesn't it? And it's the same with the Christian. So you could say at the end of a new name, well, isn't that lovely? Emma, you know, really got to meet Jesus. And now she wakes up in the morning, she looks at herself, she goes, looking good. Jesus loves you. I'm going to go out and, you know, but that is, that is not my heart. My heart is still, it's a, a factory that wakes up and says, you're rubbish. It's a factory that needs to fight for my faith. That needs to be reminded, Jesus is Lord. Jesus loves me every single day. And although the shape of some of the battles that I face may change, the heart issues that underpin those, some of those heart issues I think I'm going to be dealing with from now until the new creation. And so a new day is thinking that through, you know, because in the, in the Bible, what's interesting is the day, um, it doesn't end with darkness. It begins with darkness. And then, you know, so you think about Genesis, in the beginning it was darkness, and then there's this process towards light. And in the same way, you know, think about the whole Christian story. There's the cross, and then there's resurrection. There's dark times, and then at the end of it, that is when the light comes, that's the story. And in some senses, our life on earth reflect that. There is darkness and there is, there is suffering now. We are not the people yet that we're meant to be. Yes, Jesus is in us. Yes, he can work miracles. And we see that physically and we see that mentally. God can change people and sometimes he does. Hallelujah, brilliant. But he doesn't necessarily do it for everybody. And we need to know that needs to be part of our theology so that I don't then assume if I'm still struggling with whatever issue it is as a Christian that I'm somehow outside the kingdom and Jesus somehow hasn't done his job. That is, that is not the case. You know, we read in scripture that all of creation is groaning right now until Jesus returns and our bodies are groaning with them and our minds, our broken minds are groaning alongside too. So I guess in a new day, I was wanting to think about, right, well, what does that look like? You know, as you go through the different stages through the day, as you, as you come to the cross, as you then try and step out 
in your, in your new faith? How do you then put on Jesus? How do you live out this new identity? How do you remind yourself every day of who you are? And how do you keep going to the cross, not just at the point when you're converted, when you, when you turn to Jesus, but every day? Because that's the joy of it, isn't it? You go back to Jesus every single day because I need Jesus just as much this morning and today and right now as I did when I was at that point, in, you know, when I was on the edge of death. I need him just as much, and that grace is as much for me now as it was yesterday or the day before or after. And that's great news, because every day I'm broken, and every day I've got faulty self-image, and I've got faulty ways of thinking, and you know I'm broken, and I'm messed up, and, and all of those things. But every day the cross is there for me. Jesus is there for me. He, I put myself on in him but I fight for it, and, I, and we've got to fight for it as well. We do not naturally wake up drifting in a happy sense, you know, oh, I know who I am in Jesus, isn't that great? That's why we go to church. That's why we come along here. We, we come under the word. We have fellowship because it's not a natural thing. Brilliant. At least not for me. Emma, thank you so much just for your sharing your story and your honesty and your insightfulness. It's just been such an encouragement uh, to so many here at Manuel. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So the question is, what are you going to do with the dissatisfaction that you experience in your life? For many of us, this dissatisfaction is to do with the way that we look and how we feel about ourselves. But that's just one symptom of a deeper problem. All of us are aware of our, our weakness, our lack, our inadequacy. And we wish we were better than we are. Our hearts seem to long for something more. We want to improve. We want to address our weaknesses. We long to have our problems sorted out. And you know what? That is not a wrong or a bad desire. See, the Bible says that we're made for eternal things because we're made by an eternal God. Our hearts long for improvement, even perfection, because we were made for a perfect relationship with a perfect God. Brokenness and lack is not what God originally intended for us. But this dissatisfaction is part of the human condition that we all experience because through sin we have become disconnected from God. The God who is meant to give us our meaning and our security and our identity. So God is not asking you to suppress your desire for wholeness and for peace and for healing. But crucially, he's inviting you to look to him to find that rather than look to yourself. Emma said what drove her into anorexia was her desire to mop herself up. She tried to deal with her mess, herself, and it almost cost her her life. And so many people in the world are endlessly striving to overcome their lack and brokenness and imperfection in their own efforts. And sooner or later, they realize they can never be good enough. And the dissatisfaction is always there. But the solution that the gospel provides is found in Jesus' death on the cross. Where through faith he takes 
our sin. He takes our brokenness. He takes our shame and gives us a new identity as children of God. It's not cheer up because God loves you. It's not just tell yourself you're great no matter what you look like or how you feel. And it's not about suppressing those desires for more either. Whether you're not yet a Christian or you've been one for decades, no, the solution is the same. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. What Emma described there was a daily dependence on Jesus and his work on the cross. A daily walk of faith that exchanges your inadequacy, your weakness, your lack for the new identity of a child of God that he gives to anyone who puts their trust in him. He takes our wrongs. He takes our sin. He takes our shame and our brokenness. That's what the cross is about. He was pierced. Why? For your transgressions. He was crushed. Why? For your iniquities. He died in your place for your sin. And exchanges your mess for His perfection. Your isolation for his life-shaping relationship with God the Father. Through faith in him, what Jesus has always known and what your heart really longs for, you can have to be loved and accepted just as you are by your Father who is in heaven. Each one of us has to look in the mirror each day and come to terms with what we see. But if you're a Christian, let me tell you what you see. You see someone who the Father, God the Father, absolutely loves and accepts, despite all your faults and failings. He loves you first. You see someone whom Jesus cherished enough To go to the cross for and die for. To take your sin and to take your shame so you can be forgiven and freed from that endless cycle of striving. And thirdly, when you look in the mirror, you see someone who has the Holy Spirit inside them. God himself has come to be with you. To help you, to affirm you in your new identity in Christ and remind you of everything that is true about God and what he says about you. And so he invites us to stand confidently in who we are in God. It's only then that the striving ceases and we find healing and peace in our relationship with Jesus Christ.